Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from a very rainy Boston, Massachusetts, and a very dry WGBH. There are a lot of creatures out there that are definitely suffering in the rain, and it's about animals that we'd like to talk to you today. As more and more animals get pushed off the map by human beings, I think we lose something important, not just the animals but our relationships with wild animals. Not the stuff that we feel about animals when they're behind cages in a zoo, but the kind of stuff we feel behind our own rib cages, you know, in our hearts. When a a wolf howls in the wild, or when a, a wild bird looks at you before it flies away, or when a woodchuck sets up shop in your backyard. Well, Ann Robertson is a minister in Westford, Massachusetts, and she's going to tell us what happened when her own church came nose-to-nose with a bunch of woodchucks over a common piece of property. Not to give away the ending of the story, we do call it Woodchucks 1, Trustees 0. From the Trustees' Corner of the Church Newsletter... I quote, If you walked the grounds of the church lately, you probably wondered when the U.S. Air Force last made a bombing run near our property. (laughs) The numerous deep holes, which could swallow a small Volkswagen, are the result of many days of digging by Fuzzy the Woodchuck and his friends. The trustees made plans to remove the woodchucks. The pastor objected. Let me introduce myself. I am the pastor. My feelings on this matter run deep. When I was five or six years old, my grandmother ordered my father to shoot the woodchucks in our yard. Mind you, this was the grandmother that fed paper wasps with sugar water on the tip of her finger. But the wasps didn't threaten her flower bulbs. I didn't understand. Woodchucks wanted lunch just like I wanted lunch, and from the same backyard. I got the lettuce. They got a death sentence. I ran to my bedroom and put my pillow over my head. And I sobbed. Luckily, my mother's side of the family tree bent the other way. We have a picture of my mother squatting down in the doorway, feeding a peanut butter and bird seed sandwich to a squirrel from her teeth. (laughs) So, when it came to the trustees and their plans, I knew it was time for me to dig in with the woodchucks. The next newsletter carried the story. Never in the annals of time has there been such a quick, complete, and decisive victory by one woman and a band of merry rodents. At their August meeting, instead of the normal mound of paperwork, trustees were met by a mini shrine created by Pastor Anne. A metal have-a-heart trap occupied a nearby seat. Caged inside were nine tiny action figures, one for each of the trustees. On top of the trap sat Fuzzy, or at least a stuffed version from Toys R Us, his arms raised in victory. To the right was the familiar image of Jesus blessing a small child, only the child was gone, photoshopped out and replaced by woodchucks. A memorial candle burned in front. The trap was returned to the animal control officer, unused. Final score, woodchucks one, trustees 
zero. Soon afterward, a child told me with pride of saving worms from puddles. A grown man whispered to me that he'd found a mouse in his garage and let it live. That February, I welcomed a congregation to my house in a woodchuck costume with a new tradition. The Feast of St. Chuck, I called it, held every year on Groundhog Day. It might seem like a small thing, but I think our world, at least, is a better place with the woodchucks. They haven't changed, of course, for better or for worse. They're still woodchucks. What did change was our church's name for them. We no longer call them pests. The word pest, I've noticed, has a way of climbing up the food chain. First it's the ants at the picnic, then the mice in the garage, then the woodchucks in the garden. Then it's the deer and the bears and the wolves, and then maybe you and me. Words have a life of their own, chosen carelessly. They may start out defending your garden, only to turn and bring down your house. That was today's morning story from Ann Robertson, Woodchucks 1, Trustees 0. I'm here in the studio with uh, Gary Mott. You just got to stop and think. Is my attitude towards animals, towards creatures, towards animals that dig up my backyard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do I have that feeling about other people? I've always believed that we get most upset in somebody else with the things that are too close to the bone for us and that we don't want to look at. And I think that's why a lot of people tend to dismiss people who are really crazy about their pets. Because there's something in them they kind of understand. They don't want to look at it. That was certainly me. Was Um, it? I have always sort of looked with a skeptical eye at pet owners who just seem to take the whole pet owner thing just a, a little too far. You know what it is, Tony? I think my impression is that people are so stuck on their pets because they have a problem relating to other people. Mm. But I have to say that through my work on morning stories... <laughs> and Take two morning stories and call me in the morning. Let me know how you feel. I'm telling you, you know, <laughs> we've had a number of pet-related yeah, that's true. morning stories. Monica Collins. Yeah, lo- lo- love 101. Love 101. Right. Uh, Chloe Lehman. And, and her birds. Uh, member member of, the flock. of the flock. After hearing their stories... I think I'm somewhat more sympathetic or my position has softened a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think it's always great when someone who really does feel that way about animals is able to tell you something about where they come from. We, in fact, had that opportunity just the other day. Uh, We got a letter from a publisher who was bringing out a book by a guy named Ken Foster about the experience that he's had rescuing dogs This guy has rescued tons of dogs in New Orleans and after Katrina he did it on the West Coast and and also when he was living in New York City. And I was amazed to find that this was a guy who started off as a publicist in New York City and Manhattan who had nothing to do with animals and thought that people who were into their pets were totally weird. And he had this transformation. I asked him, I said, listen, could you please explain to me what it is that you really feel about dogs 
that maybe another person who doesn't feel that way could understand. Could you tell us your story? We have a couple of clips from that conversation. This is Ken Foster. I was invited to Costa Rica for three months. And the first night there, they were showing me around the property. It was on this farm on a big mountain. And this dog appeared in the middle of this light rain. This dog showed up and was looking at me very curiously and wagging his tail. He started coming to me every day after lunch. He would come into my little room, basically, and curl up and take a nap. Even then he would come back at dinner time. And then after dinner, he would guard the door while I slept. Occasionally he would see me walking around the farm and he would come up to me and sort of lead me off into these corners that I hadn't gone to. One time in particular, he kept sort of looking over his shoulder, like, are you following me? Are you following me? And then he got to this ledge um, that looked out over this field of flowers. And he sat down and looked at me. And it was as if he was like, this is what I wanted you to see. Duque was his name. What really uh, won me over, in fact, was that um, this dog sort of decided that he was going to be my friend. So I started paying attention to what he paid attention to. The real world, you know, not the one that we construct around ourselves. You know, Manhattan in New York City, but the one that just sort of exists spontaneously. Um, You know, what's happening right now is the most important thing that could possibly be happening. I really wanted to bring him back with me, but I couldn't. I found out what paperwork you would need to get him on the plane. But then I discovered that the airline was not going to let me take it. So I ended up, I bought as much dog food as I could find. And I bought flea medication and a whole bunch of stuff like that. A couple toys. Um, He'd started playing with a pair of sneakers that I had with me. And I think I included them as well in this big package of stuff. Um, And I gave it to this family and told them, you know, who it was for. The last day or so that I was there, it seemed as if he knew. Um, and he sort of shied away from me. And I walked by one of the last days I was there, and, he, and I tried to get his attention, and he just wouldn't give it to me. And yet I knew that since I couldn't do anything for him, I was going to have to do something for, for another dog. I have three dogs, and I've had all these dogs that I've temporarily kept along the way that I found, you know, in various locations outside my house on the street. Zephyr, who was the second dog that I decided to keep, crawled into my lap the first time she saw me and just stayed there. Sula showed up outside my door one day and she'd been in a horrible fight. And yet when I said, hey, get over here, she came scampering over and just wanted to kiss me. People have asked me why it is that I end up finding so many stray dogs. And I think maybe it's because I'm not afraid of them. And so they figure, well, maybe this is the person who can actually give me some help. Um, <laughs> the great thing about dogs is that they let you help them, which, you know, frequently in our, even in our best friendships, uh, I can't think of a relationship that I've had that has the same, the same intensity and sense of mutual respect, I guess. I think I... I felt like asking for help revealed a weakness. Um, And none of that makes sense to dogs. The dog is responding to what's happening today, Um, which I think as as I get older and probably as we all get older, gets more and more useful. (laughs) If if I or, or anyone could 
be as honest as dogs are is really what I think it's about. Yeah. That was Ken Foster, and if, if you'd like to read uh, his book, and it's a very interesting read and very personal, some fascinating stories in it. It's called The Dogs Who Found Me, What I Learned from Pets Who Were Left Behind. And speaking about leaving behind, that's about all the time that we do have. We've been getting some wonderful email from you. Uh, we'll, we'll read some of that next time. Um, and a lot of it has included stories, and please keep your stories coming. Um, and keep your reviews going into iTunes if you feel like it. That always counts. We, we rely on hearing from you in the same way that every week we rely on you-know-who, Ipswich, our funder. Ipswich, a leader in file transfer software. Uh, they're at ipswich.com, I-P-S-W-I-T-C-H. And right after you go there, be sure and stop by our website wgbh.org slash morning stories our new improved website also please get in touch with us at morning stories at wgbh.org and we'll be back at you next friday so see you then you never see anybody sending out a press release announcing that they've they and their dog have decided to part ways <laughs> or you know they, that they'll always appreciate the time they had together but they've decided to go their own separate way it just doesn't happen you know, I can rely on my dogs. I know what I can expect from them, and they know what they can expect from me. 